You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. This type of storytelling and journalism is made possible by donations from people just like you. So to keep this type of content coming to your podcast feed, please make a donation today at lovethatneighborhood.org slash donate. Again, that's lovethatneighborhood.org slash donate. So as you know, our economy has taken a pretty big hit with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like businesses are closing. I mean, just recently you found out your favorite coffee shop here in Louisville is closing. Yeah, rest in peace, Highland Coffee. People have lost their jobs. Like, in fact, according to Pew Research, the unemployment rate went from 3.8% pre-COVID to 13% since COVID. Yeah. I mean, it's just been a really hard time on a lot of people. Yeah, totally. But here's what's crazy, is that while the pandemic is seeming to tank our economy, the one aspect that hasn't gone down is the housing market. Yeah, the housing market is like on fire right now. Yeah. In fact, a report from Zillow, the real estate website, says the median home price has actually risen by 13.2 percent during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've actually witnessed this. So there was a huge boom of construction and house flippers in my neighborhood recently. So it was kind of strange to look at, like, everything's shutting down. People are like, what's going to happen? What's the future going to look like? And then all of a sudden it's like, and here's all these brand new houses. Yeah, like, because you live in Shelby Park, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, already been uh, for years, like, all this tension around new developments, uh, gentrification. In fact, you know, we did the episode on gentrification. When did that episode come out? Yeah, that uh, aired back in January of 2018. I think about it. You know, my wife and I actually bought our first home in the Shelby Park neighborhood, gosh, 14 years ago. And, you know, we were one of a handful of couples from our church who honestly, like, we just wanted to move in and like love our neighbors well. But we like brought this other narrative with us that ended up, you know, really impacting the neighborhood. And I'd be curious to know, like, How does everything going on with the housing market boom, how does that intersect with the narrative of Shelby Park and all the changes that were happening there? Like, I think that's a story worth revisiting. Well, great minds think alike because I'm actually one step ahead of you there. So I was thinking the same thing. And I've already sat down with someone from our gentrification episode to get an update on the narrative of Shelby Park. So I'm going to play the original episode first, and then I'll come back and bring you that update. Sound good? Love it. Let's do it. And just a reminder, the story in this episode is closely tied to the story of Sojourn Community Church, which is in our very first episode where the gospel meets racial reconciliation. So if you aren't familiar with that story, just know that Sojourn is located in Shelby Park and that the origin story of the church might help give you some more context. All right, let's take a trip. Back to Shelby Park. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Every episode, we hear stories of social action and Christian community. Today's episode, where the gospel meets gentrification. We're taking you back to the place where our podcast first began. A neighborhood that partly because of the church finds itself faced with a decision to either protect the long-term residents and make sure that they have a place in the neighborhood or to drive them out. Welcome back to Shelby Park. And welcome to our corner of the urban universe. (laughs) 
Okay, so Rachel, today we're talking about gentrification and gentrification, it's kind of hard to define. Yeah, so typically when someone says gentrification, what they mean is displacement. So people in a community who are minority or poor getting essentially pushed out because of new people coming in, bringing with them development and rising housing costs. And actually, this is a big problem in our nation right now. So seven major U.S. cities right now are considered more than 25 percent gentrified. But displacement is something that's been happening since the dawn of human history. And in fact, the Israelites, they were really familiar with displacement. So in 722 B.C., the Israelites were displaced to a city called Babylon, and they were sent there because they were no longer keeping the covenant God had made with them. And a big part of their disobedience was God's people were unjustly treating the vulnerable in their society. So they were doing all their religious duties. They were fasting. They were praying. They were sacrificing at the temple, but all while exploiting the poor and the vulnerable among them. And it's through the prophet Isaiah that God reminds them of his attitude toward vulnerable people. Isaiah 58 says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And it's verses just like this one that have sort of become the battle cry of Christians who want to live out social justice. Yeah, I mean, that's a large part of why Sojourn Community Church moved into Shelby Park. But before Sojourn ever moved into their building or into the neighborhood, my wife and I actually moved in. And at the time, another Sojourn member also wanted to move into Shelby Park, and her name was Jordan Albury. It just seemed like it made sense financially because we could afford to live there. Also, a goal of ours was to stay in the community where Sojourn was actually planted. Jordan was in her early 20s, and she wanted to embody God's call to justice. So when Jordan and her husband decided to buy their first home, she immediately looked at homes in Shelby Park. Well, Jordan tells her family where she wants to live, and the response? It was not favorable. We got a lot, a lot, a lot of pushback from family members and some friends because it's it's dangerous there, high crime rate. We would be in the minority racially. And she knew that Shelby Park was considered an impoverished, or as one online forum put it, a dicey part of town. So here we are excited about buying our first home, and which is supposed to be an exciting thing, but we decided to go into a neighborhood that's pretty depressed. Well, Jordan knew where God stood on justice for the poor. And so for assurance, she turned to scripture and to song. And I remember sitting on our front porch discussing it, discussing all the pushback from our family members. And um, we started singing. Let justice roll like a river, like a river, let it roll. Let justice roll like a river, like a river, let it roll. So Jordan believed that God cared about the least of these and she wanted to model that. And so even though her family was not supportive, Jordan decided she wanted to trust God, and so she bought a home in Shelby Park. When Jordan moved in, there were actually four families from Sojourn living in the neighborhood. One of those was my wife and I. And I don't know, I guess our presence there, it was just a bit strange. And to help you understand what I mean by that, let me give you an overview of Shelby Park. 
so Shelby Park, it's almost split down the middle racially. So 48% white, 52% black. It has a 12.7% unemployment rate, which is huge. Uh, That means that more than one in 10 people do not have a job. So 34% of residents have never completed high school and almost half, 47% of residents live below the poverty line. So here comes Jordan. She's white, she's educated, she doesn't buy her groceries at the neighborhood corner store. Right now I'm the only one on my street coming home with Trader Joe's bags. So on the outside, she doesn't seem like she fits in, but her very first walk in Shelby Park made her feel like this neighborhood was her home. I had not even stepped foot in the literal Shelby Park before moving into our house. I took my dogs for my first walk in Shelby Park early in the morning and um, and it was my first time and I was just stunned at how beautiful Shelby Park was. And actually this park, it was designed by Frederick Olmsted. So this is the same guy that was the father of landscape architecture. He designed Central Park in Manhattan. So the park is just beautiful. And I just felt just so assured, even amidst the pushback that we'd received that this is my home. Going back to my house after after that, it was just like, you know, I could I could be that person that can totally think of this laundry list of, oh, we're gonna do this cool event on my street and we're gonna do that cool thing and I'm gonna bake bread for uh, 16 neighbors in order to get 16 prayer requests. But that's not, that's just like, this is hitting the, surf, the surface. And Jordan, she has big dreams for the folks in her neighborhood. But I was a feisty 23-year-old that was just like, everybody's going to be, I don't know what I wanted them to be like, but something was going to happen because I showed up. Now, it's important to understand that Jordan, her intentions, they're good. She genuinely wants to love her neighbors. She genuinely wants people to know Jesus. There's no ulterior motive there, but growth doesn't come without change. So in order to see growth in Shelby Park, there's going to have to be change. And Jordan, she wasn't the only one who wanted to bring this good change to her new neighborhood. Part of the incoming change came from another Christian named Bryce Butler. So in addition to a lot of poverty, lack of education, another staggering statistic of Shelby Park is the number of vacant homes in the neighborhood. Shelby Park, on that list of vacant abandoned properties, had about 330 in a 15-block neighborhood. That's a lot. So this is Bryce Butler, and he's a managing partner at Access Ventures, a company that provides capital for entrepreneurs. When he says 330 homes is a lot, what's like an average amount? Okay, so just to give you an idea, so Flint, Michigan, which is often in the news for a lot of its own poverty issues, it was actually cited last year as having one of the largest vacancy rates, and that was only 7.5%. Shelby Park, nine years ago, the vacancy rate was 23%. Holy cow. That's almost a quarter of the buildings. Yeah, there was a time where my wife and I actually would look out our front door and we were the only occupied home out of the six homes on our corner. And they're not only eyesores for the neighborhood, like they just cause a lot of problems for people that live here. And that leads to a lot of other neighborhood instabilities, crime, increased prostitution, drug trafficking. Just, I mean, any number of things. And so since Bryce is all about investing and capital, he started figuring out some numbers in his head. Could I buy and renovate a home? And can we simultaneously take some of this vacant and abandoned housing stock and repurpose it for 50 to 60,000? Now it's not gonna be the most amazing home in the world, but it's gonna have better HVAC. It's actually gonna have insulation. The windows are gonna be improved. 
And so Bryce tested it out. He flipped eight homes, but still rented them out at a fair market price. Well, that's pretty cool. So he's using his talents and his job skills to help the residents of Shelby Park. Except for the folks who ended up renting those eight homes. Uh, They weren't like longtime folks who had come from Shelby Park. They were other Sojourn Church members. And they'd heard about the efforts happening in Shelby Park. They wanted to move in. They wanted to be an active part of what God was doing in that community. But at the end of the day, it was more middle-class white folks moving into the neighborhood. And in its most basic definition, that is gentrification. So when a lot of us from Sojourn began to move into Shelby Park, a lot of us were middle-class. And so not only are we bringing sort of our middle-class ideas about Shelby Park to the table, but we also were bringing our ideas about how we thought God wanted things done. And what became apparent pretty quickly was that we were changing a lot of things. I think they changed too much too fast. When helping actually kind of hurts. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Anna, media editor. At the beginning of August, I talked with a few interns from our summer 2021 term who had just wrapped up their three-month-long internship where they lived, worked, and served in our city here in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm Jacob Dice. I'm from Kansas City, Kansas. Jacob told me that over the summer, he and his housemates developed a friendship with one of their neighbors. The beginning of the summer, I remember him telling us basically that he doesn't like Christian people, um, and that he's, he's pretty shied off towards the whole Christian community. But we continued to just love on him and talk to him over the course of the summer. When the summer ended and Jacob was getting ready to go home, his neighbor told him something he didn't expect. And he was like, you know, um, I'm pretty sad that you guys are moving out now. And he was like, you guys just aren't like any Christians that I've encountered before. You guys don't hold me to like your standards, but you love me as I am. And I really respect that and appreciate that. Being able to see his perspective totally transform over the course of like 11 and a half weeks has been incredible. If you want to find your internship or social action in Christian community meet, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. That's lovethyneighborhood.org. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's episode is where the gospel meets gentrification. So we've been following Jordan as she and other Sojourn members move into Shelby Park to live out God's command to do justice. And Jordan wasn't the only one who was excited about moving into Shelby Park and bringing some change in the neighborhood. I sat down with a longtime resident. Her name is Mary Owsley. And when all these Sojourners started moving into the neighborhood, Mary was pretty excited too. And most of the people that have moved are younger people that are moving into the neighborhood, which I love. And it makes the neighborhood um, more appetizing to other people. So Miss Mary has lived in Shelby Park for 30 years in the same house. And during those 30 years, she's seen a lot of things come and go in this neighborhood. The restaurant on the corner was the only business. There was no store. You know, uh, well, let me take that back. After I think about it, there was a bakery on Shelby, right there on the corner. Um, There was a bakery there. Oh, they had the best donuts. And then they had, when I first moved here, they had a library. Another interesting fact about Shelby Park is it also boasts this historic community center. And Miss Mary would see people going in and out of this community center all the time. 
they had it where you could go over and do your taxes and you could go over and, you know, um, if you wanted, send things, uh, emails and all that. But due to various things like lack of participation, vandalism, changes in ownership, all these things Mary mentioned, they're gone. They're no longer in Shelby Park, leaving the neighborhood not only with a huge number of vacant homes, but now also a huge number of vacant businesses. Yeah, so remember Bryce Butler, the guy who flipped those eight homes? Well, he decides that in addition to flipping those homes, he's also going to do something about these vacant businesses. In 2010, at the census, there was only one person that both lived and worked in Shelby Park. And part of that problem was there aren't any jobs in Shelby Park. And so Bryce, along with other partners, brought several businesses back to Shelby Park. We saw the architecture firm that moved in. We saw the engineering design firm the co-working space, shared office. We have a coffee roastery. Some of our borrowers on the business side have moved into Shelby Park. So it's been really neat to see new business activity. And so you look at the work that Bryce and his company Access Ventures is doing, and they're starting up all these businesses, and it's good. I mean, you look at what was formerly this, you know, business corridor in Shelby Park that was completely vacant, and now you drive and there's businesses everywhere. I think that the ongoing concern is not about these new, wonderful businesses. It's just, where does somebody who's grown up impoverished and grown up without an education and, you know, doesn't go to coffee shops, like, where do they fit in this picture? Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, Jesse, this was kind of true for you and the folks at Sojourn as well. I can remember one time, like, I had this neighbor, and she sold popcorn on the side to make money. And I remember that uh, Sojourn, we were throwing a film festival, and so we were showing all of these indie films. But my wife suddenly realized, hold on, people eat popcorn at movies. We should have our neighbor come and sell popcorn. And it was a resounding no from everybody else that was involved. And the bottom line was that she wasn't cool enough. She wasn't hip enough. It was not the right aesthetic. We didn't want her selling her, you know, cheap popcorn from the corner store when we're trying to portray a certain kind of hipster image. And, uh, you know, it was a real indictment on us. And in fact, you know, Jordan remembers a similar story that still haunts her to this day. There was a church on, on our street, and there was a handful of people... I want to say just like a dozen or maybe less of congregants at that church. It was still an active church when we when we moved in. And it was a, a neighborhood, historical neighborhood church in Shelby Park. It was this old brick church. And you would see just like a dozen cars parked actually in the lawn in front of the church every single Sunday. And there are so many times I wondered what's going on in that church. They were doing outreach on my street this church had been there for a long time, and we ignored them. We just threw our own block party with a bigger bouncy house. Then one day, it was just gone. And I don't mean like the congregation stopped attending. I mean that a bulldozer pulled up to the building and started to demolish it. And within a matter of days, all that was left was just a field. Did you invite the folks from that church to the block party? I can't say that it ever even crossed our thought to invite people from that church to our block party. We were focused on our agenda and what we were there for and what we were going to do and our way of doing things. And we didn't have the patience to put up with other people's lack of efficiency. 
And every time I walk past that empty lot, I regret not stepping foot in that building and saying, can I partner with you all in your outreach to the neighborhood that I now belong belong in? Um, instead of thinking my ideas of my church are more advanced or whatever. And it's kind of, I mean, it looks like a scar on my street of a place of outreach and love and welcome that my neighbors had for generations upon generations that's literally not there anymore. And that I unknowingly feel like I participated in. Today, often with well-meaning Christians at the helm, Shelby Park is becoming a hotbed of activity. Where once only four Sojourn families lived in the neighborhood, there's now at least 30 Sojourn households. And seven businesses have moved into the neighborhood just within the last three years. I was talking to one of my neighbors um, down the street. He had surgery not that long ago to remove a tumor in his chest. And he said his... Uh, rent is is going up and he's just worried how is he going to pay for medical bills how is he going to pay for his rent and his rent is going up because property values are going up and so this is where we find ourselves um in this really sticky situation new sojourners have come in more projects are taking place like um oh we're going to do these things for these people because we showed up and and then i've thought to myself like wait a second have they not thought to ask some of us who have been here for a while, what's the best thing for your neighbors? But amidst her criticism, Jordan remembers that there was somebody else who hadn't thought to ask anyone either. It was her, at least her 23-year-old feisty self that had moved into Shelby Park to do great things. It's a it's a poor theology that I came that I came from, a poor American evangelical cultural theology that says your work your efforts, your giftings that you bring to the table are going to create change. Here's the thing. It's a fine line and it's hard because you look in scripture and you see this picture in the New Testament of God's church being extremely diverse, racially, economically, age-wise. And so you've got these repeated commands for those that are wealthy to care for those that are poor, but also that those that are poor, that they're a blessing and a gift to those that are wealthy. So you get this picture of this beautiful diversity. The problem is that we just don't know how to do diversity. What we know how to do is to come in and become an infestation. We just, we only know how to take over. We don't play well with others. We tell ourselves we're going to, but then man, when push comes to shove, we just think we're the stuff. You know, we just think we know best and we think we know the way to get things done and what's what the healing answers are. And if you would only listen to me, you know, who needs a savior when the world's got us? Here's Miss Mary again. I think they changed too much too fast because uh, a lot of things was in place, uh, but it was always a disagreement on when and where or uh, how. And, you know, as far as being segregated, we've been segregated enough. But a, a lot of the churches do not want to do that. They want to make it centrally theirs. And it's not yours. It's for everybody. It's diversity. So, Rachel, you know, it's impossible to talk about gentrification without also getting into the topic of race. And even though the term gentrification is a buzzword right now, this is it's just not a new narrative. 
So back in the 1950s, white flight started happening. Do you know what white flight is? Yeah, white flight is when all the white people moved out of the city and they all went to the suburbs. Right. You know, white folks are the majority in this country. And the way that we leveraged that power back in the 50s is that when people of color began to receive equal rights, the way we responded to that is that we built suburbs and we moved out and away from the cities and we abandoned our urban neighbors. And now all of a sudden, all these years later, we're going, these long commutes suck. I don't want to drive this far. I'd much rather live closer to downtown. And so we're moving back in, but I don't know that we're always doing it with the intention that we want our urban neighbors to be our neighbors long-term. I don't want, even if they're, you know, one of the bad neighbors that my, that other neighbors have labeled, I don't want them to go. And so, and so what does it look like? We come in and we flip these homes and we are quote missional in this neighborhood all the while pushing out people who need Jesus. I wish there would have been somebody to talk to us about what is our presence doing for the good and for the bad. Yeah. I find myself asking the same thing. Stay with us. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's episode, where the gospel meets gentrification. We've been following the relationship between Sojourn Community Church and a neighborhood called Shelby Park. As Shelby Park leans further and further into gentrification, Sojourn, a church that meant well, ended up adding to the problem. So where do they go from here? Well, for starters, they installed their first African-American pastor, Jamal Williams, And you can hear his story if you go all the way back to episode number one, where the gospel meets racial reconciliation. And second, they partner with an organization called Seed to Oaks. And so we partner with churches like Soldier in Midtown by uh, saying, hey, how can we help you understand your neighborhood better? This is James Westbrook, director of programs for Seed to Oaks. And what they do is train and equip churches on how to be involved in their communities in truly beneficial ways. We can do so many different things. We can offer this, we can offer that. But if it's not speaking to the needs of your community, uh, you're, you're literally having a conversation with yourself. If everything is about the rising narratives, the new people coming in, or a new Shelby Park, you, that is done to such degradation of the folks that are there. Now, remember, Shelby Park, it's diverse. And you've got now this growing middle-class population that are living right alongside folks that are living in poverty and have almost no education. It's real easy in these kinds of scenarios to leave people behind. 
Well, Seed to Oaks, in order to ensure that no one is left behind, they conduct what's called a neighborhood survey. We knock on the door and uh, we just simply ask them, hey, can we ask you some questions about your experiences uh, here in this neighborhood? They go around to as many homes in the neighborhood as possible and they ask questions like, how long have you lived here? What do you like about your neighborhood? What would you change if you could? Uh, what the survey allows us to do is step out of ourselves and get a different perspective of what the community needs are. Okay, so did they do one of these surveys in Shelby Park? You betcha. You want to know what they said? Yeah. All right. So, Rachel, right here in my hand, I've got the five key findings from Seed to Oaks Neighborhood Survey of Shelby Park. So, number one, diversity and unity. Folks in Shelby Park, a lot of pride just about how diverse the neighborhood is. People really enjoy uh, the fact that their neighbor could either be making the same as them or they could be making uh, twice as much as them. Number two, economic opportunity. So folks are really excited about all of these businesses that are moving into the neighborhood. However, it also became clear that local residents do not view the, the churches in this area as helpful in this regards. Hey, what does it look like to be trained and feel like we're equipped uh, to land some of these jobs? So number three, children and youth. Uh, there was a deep awareness of the need to teach and train and mentor the youth in the neighborhood. Number four, community events and festivals. Sojourn specifically uh, are that church on the corner that they say, uh, do you guys still do the medical clinics? Do you guys still do the fall festival? And number five, trash and beautification. And from these survey results, they then create an action plan. The way in which we've designed our pillars uh, with the medical clinics, with our events, uh, with uh, economic opportunity, with education and training, the way that we've designed it is speaking directly to the primary cares of Shelby Park. One of the things that's really tough for folks that don't have a lot of money is when Christmas rolls around and they want to buy gifts for their kids. And so Sojourn and C. Dokes came up with this other idea. Affordable Christmas is about providing a dignified opportunity for the less fortunate to provide the Christmas gifts for their children. Yeah. So, you know, I went to the affordable Christmas event. And so in the sanctuary of Sojourn Community Church's building, they had all these different tables set up with all these different Christmas gifts. So that's cool. So it's just like uh, like Christmas presents all over the place, like Christmas presents for sale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the people can come in and they buy these gifts at like 70 to 80 percent off the retail price. Oh, that's cool. So the idea is basically like instead of people feeling like they're charity cases where they're, you know, getting a bunch of free gifts to give to their kids, instead, like they actually purchase it. They have the dignity of buying the gifts themselves just at a price that's actually affordable for them. And so I spoke to one woman that came through. She was a single mom with four kids. And I asked her, you know, what does this mean to you? My oldest son got a bike, which is really awesome. I got a bike for like 10 bucks. He's so happy. He still rides the bike. He goes out in the rain and still rides it. Um, got my daughter some really cool stuff. My other kids some really cool stuff. It was really, really, really great. And I don't know. I guess it's the difference between when someone gives your kids gifts and when you're able to do it yourself. It just makes me feel better as a parent to be able to do it myself. I like. I wanted to cry. Like I did. I think I cried and I had girls like, thank you, because I didn't even know how I was going to pay 
my light blue, let alone get the kids some Christmas presents. They were really surprised. They really was. So what's interesting about this scenario is you've got Sojourn's building where folks on the lower end of the economic spectrum are getting affordable gifts for their kids. And then like literally across the street from the building is this higher end local boutique where folks in the middle class can do their shopping. So it's not about either or. Literally side by side in Shelby Park, we see this picture of both and. Today, Sojourn with the help of Seed to Oaks conducts job skills training, hosts free medical clinics, and provides after-school tutoring for kids. So it's not always big and flashy and grandiose, but it really does serve their neighbors. So here's what Miss Mary had to say about what Sojourn is doing now in Shelby Park. People want to be, you know, to be around other people. And I'm not just talking about, you know, black and white. I'm talking about be around everybody because everybody's got good, good ideas. And uh, that's what I've seen at Sojourn is that, you know, you it's diversity. You know, Shelby Park really has not gentrified nearly to the extent that a lot of other cities have. And there's a lot of long-term residents that are still here in the neighborhood, at least for now. But the truth is this, Shelby Park is at a crossroads. And in the next few years, we're really going to see what trajectory the neighborhood is going to take. And for Jordan, she knows that it's going to look different than it did when she first moved in. But her hope is that it will be to the benefit of her neighbors and not at the expense of her neighbors. Wherever crossing the tracks is for people. Are we going in there thinking that um, these people need us so greatly? In the meantime, there are always people who have always been in these areas and Jesus Christ has been present. And so what, what will it take for us to lay down our pride in order to seek instruction and to, and to walk into a space assuming that we are a student? And Isaiah, God rebuked his people for not considering the vulnerable among them. Shelby Park, it's a diverse neighborhood, one that includes both black and white, middle class and below poverty, folks with PhDs and folks who never finished high school. And to do justice is not to leave any of these people behind. The greatest of the commandments can be summed up in two. Love God with everything within you, essentially, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I guess what's happening in Shelby Park is really just a picture of what we've been exploring all season long. In every episode, it seems like it always just boils down to one simple phrase, relationships change lives. This isn't about everybody moving into the inner city. For some of you, maybe that is what God's calling you to do. But whether you live on a farm or you live in the suburbs or you live in a high rise, it all boils down to the same thing. In this moment, how can you love God and love the people around you? Because relationships change lives. Let's go build those relationships. Okay, Jesse, so that is where the original episode ended, and that was three and a half years ago. And Shelby Park was kind of at this crossroads, right, at the end of that episode. Yeah. So... I sat down again with Jordan Alberry to talk about what changes have happened since then and what path the narrative of Shelby Park has taken. September marks my 13th year in Shelby Park. 
Everything is just getting a lot more swag, I guess, and um, in development. We have so many new businesses, bars and restaurants. There's Logan Street Market that took over a warehouse space. That used to be a really high crime area and, and also a really depressed area. Yeah, so a lot of changes happened in just a few years. Like, whereas before there were maybe like a handful of businesses, there's now probably twice that many. Yeah, yeah. What about the impact of like the housing market boom? I remember in the episode, you know, we talked about the vacant home rate. It was really high. And when I lived there, it was a huge problem. Has the vacant home rate gone down, gone up? Yeah. So I asked Jordan about that specifically. I would say, like, on my street currently, it is a very small, very extremely small minority of houses that are vacant now. I think there's maybe two or three that I can think of off the top of my head. But to where it used to be, it seemed like every other house was vacant, you know. That's been bizarre to watch. So, like, in a lot of ways, I mean, it does seem like Shelby Park is in a good place. More businesses means more people visiting the area. It feels like it's, like, actually, you know, being put on the map, this big push to renovate homes. Yeah, sure. It all seems positive. You're right. But the reality is it comes at a cost, especially when it comes to housing. Now those houses have been, you know, owned by some development company and flipped and resold for buku's of money. You know, and so which means that the demographic of the neighborhood is starkly different than what it was even three or four years ago. So we talked about this in the episode. Shelby Park used to be split pretty evenly as far as ethnicity, about 50-50 white and black. But now the white population has actually increased by 20 percent, while the black population has decreased by 18 percent. Wow. And it's just a fact that in general, broad strokes like White folks have higher income than folks who are black. And so along with this demographic change, the value of owner-occupied homes has almost doubled. Out of my original neighbors that I started out with, I only have um, two left. And they don't even know if they're going to be able to stay because their property taxes have gotten so high. And they've lived there. Their family has owned that house for over 60 years. But the property taxes have gotten so high that they don't know where they're going to get the money to pay for it. Yeah, so I can actually attest to this personally. I own a home in Shelby Park, and I recently just had to refinance my house because the property taxes made my mortgage unsustainable for me. Wow. And, like, thing is, I have the resources to do that. Like, I have good credit history. I have the ability to do that, to refinance my house. But not everyone living in Shelby Park is going to have those options. I have no stats on this. I haven't like looked at it. But from what I've observed as a neighbor who's lived there and seen people go in and out, some of those people have had homes in Shelby Park and no longer could afford their home and now are living in Shelby Park, like in a tent. There's a lot of people that I've seen in the park um, who are living in the park at the moment that I recognize from different blocks of the neighborhood. And that's why I say, like, I think they can't afford their house anymore that they've lived in for however long and and now have found themselves without a house. And it's really sad to me. It's really, really tragic. And I I actually kind of live life in Shelby Park with always just like this pocket of grief in me. Like, it's just it's just hanging out there. And, and you know, I'm not meaning to sound negative or anything, but 
I really miss the people that I used to hang out with all the time. I ran into a guy that I know who was uh, living in an apartment in Shelby Park, and I ran into him the other day, and I said, where are you staying? And he said, in Shelby Park. And I was like, well, where? And he goes, in Shelby Park. And I was like, oh. Yeah, you know, so in the episode, Shelby Park was kind of at this crossroads as to whether or not people were going to be displaced. And the hope was, you know, that wasn't going to be the case. But sadly, that seems to be exactly what has happened. Yeah. And Jordan grieves for the loss of her neighbors. But she also grieves over her own role in perpetuating this narrative of displacement. So in the episode, you know, she mentions a church that eventually got bulldozed, became a vacant lot, and how she was sorry that she never engaged with that church. And I asked her about that lot and if she ever still passes by it. The lot is not still there. So that church got demolished. And then there was an empty lot. Well, now three brand new houses are built on that one lot. And they all sold for uh, close to $300,000 a piece. Um, But I really struggled to walk past where that church used to be still. And um, knowing about the opportunity that I missed, starting out like we were the catalyst to the gentrification push that we see now, or the gentrification that's happened. I'm not even going to say it's a push anymore. It's been pushed. It's done. There's no going back. The old Shelby Park is gone. And she's not coming back. Yeah, you know, like, this is tricky. You don't want a neighborhood to just, like, stay impoverished. But when you start making new developments, the natural consequence is a rise in property values and attracting people that would have not lived there previously I mean, it's just a sticky situation that does not have clean answers. Yeah. So I asked Jordan, you know, what do you think the good news is for Shelby Park? And just like, you know, the narrative isn't clean, it's not straightforward. She didn't really have a straightforward answer to that question. I don't know that you can say that there is a good point to that story. There's not a happy ending. Gentrification is displacement, is a displacement of people. And displacing people from their homes is not good. And so, you know, and the gospel makes space for that. The gospel makes space for us to grieve that really true, dark reality. I can see personally things that I've chosen to make good with the space that I'm in right now, which I think is essential for a believer, you know, is to lament when it's time to lament and to be honest with God through that. But he also invites us to walk humbly into forgiveness. And so I think that's just in general been the story for me as a neighbor in Shelby Park. One of the people who brought gentrification forward has been a lot of humbling and a, a lot of having to forgive myself, ask God for forgiveness. I guess like Do you trust God with the narrative of Shelby Park? Yes, I do trust God with the narrative of Shelby Park because he has walked me through seasons where it's either I trust God with the narrative or I don't make it. I think about the Israelites, you know, and they're in the desert wandering around displaced, you know, for 40 years in the desert. There's moments in that narrative, in that story that they downright refuse to trust God. The God who said, I will walk you through this, 
and I will take care of you. There are moments that the Israelites absolutely refuse to trust him. And it is in that refusal to trust God that they create this narrative about God that he is not fair or he is not good. And they find themselves suffering because of their delusion. And so I definitely trust God with the narrative of Shelby Park. And I trust God with why he brought me there and why he's kept me there. Because there's so many times that I've wanted to leave in these past three or four years because it's been so hard to deal with all the change. But I know that the story is not over. And because of that, like, I take so much hope. I do know that he's put the people around me that I have today around me for a reason. And I don't want to squander that time because I am hell-bent on not trusting him. You know, and so I am going to trust him. You know, I was actually really encouraged by her response. How so? Well, I think it can be so easy for us to just spend time trying to point out the villains in the narrative. like oh, this city that failed the neighbors, or oh, all these rich white people that are moving in and pushing people out. Right. Like, that's not what God has called us to do, is to just sit and point out villains. Like, God has prepared good works for us to do. And Jordan is not sugarcoating this narrative at all, but she's also not going to sit around and point fingers. Like, instead, she's continuing to live out her Christian faith by loving God and loving the people that are around her. And even though it may not feel like home sometimes, or at least not the home that she moved into 13 years ago, every now and then, Jordan is reminded that Shelby Park, it's still her home. Just recently, I was sitting with my longtime next-door neighbor, Tandy. We were just having coffee and talking and And it hit me that he and I have been doing that together for almost 13 years now. And he's watched my kids grow. And it was all of a sudden I just had like this coming home moment looking around me and seeing like this very familiar face that I'm so thankful for that he's still there. My good friend is still there. And I think I just had this coming home to myself and to God like, yeah, he did actually call me there 13 years ago. He did actually plant me there. It really was like this coming home to myself, realizing I'm still home in my neighborhood. And so I'm excited to continue to participate in God's story and to continue to be planted in the place where I can invest in the people that are around me and the time that they're around me. If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees for this episode, Jordan Alberry, Bryce Butler, Mary Ousley, and James Westbrook. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host today is Rachel Zabo. Rachel's also our media director and producer. And I caught her dumpster diving last week at Krispy Kreme. Oh, they had the best donuts. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Additional editing by Janelle Dawkins. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Pottington Bear, Scott Holmes, and Sojourn Music. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. 
Apply for your social action internship supported by Christian Community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. You can serve for a summer or for an entire year. You'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise.